The views and opinions that are expressed as part of this podcast in no way represent those held by American Football Ireland or the Irish NFL show. As always, guys, this is just a bit of crack, so please, no giving out. Podcast where we take you through insights and stories behind all things American football here in Ireland. We're your hosts, Kelly Dwyer, and I'm Robbie Caldwell. Let's get down to it. Well, 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 the sunshine has officially ended and the rain is back here on this lovely little island of ours, but we still got football. We've still got football, is right. So to start us off, Kelly, how about we kick it off with uh, the disappointment that was the Craigavon Cowboys and how they broke our hearts yet again. Oh, they let us down. They let us down. One point, they came so close, but yet so far away. We believed in you, Craigavon. <laughs> we believed. No, I actually think that they did quite well. Um, so they would have started off that game very, very rusty. They didn't actually look like a team that had had like three games behind them in that first quarter. And they conceded their three touchdowns, the three touchdowns that were scored against them in that first quarter. And then they really started to get it together, started to look a lot better, like a lot more shape on them, mostly on their offense, really. And then their pass coverage improved a lot as well. So uh, the momentum changing play for me was a pass from QB um, Peter Lochran out to the wideout number 14 which really marks the start of the Cowboys game and that was in about quarter two so yeah it was a very impressive like from the Trojans to take such a commanding lead like first quarter putting up what was it three touchdowns converted you know then another three quarters what happened did they just head home <laughs> yeah I think they had what was it like two two passing touchdowns one running touchdown in the first quarter so I mean like they came in they started hot like and the Cowboys didn't seem to be in that first quarter at all um, the other thing was is that the Trojans were really capitalising on any of the mistakes that the Cowboys made so a few passes really not going to hand or things being overthrown or whatever and particularly number 80 that's Tom Morris for the Trojans really capitalising on those mistakes that the Cowboys were making and picking them off left right and centre I think the difference between the first quarter for the Trojans and the third and the second, third and fourth quarter is that in the first quarter they would have had their starting QB very well known across the league um, and their starting wideouts um, and then they made their rotations then they brought on their second string QB and the third string QB for the rest of the game so I mean I don't think that anybody is fooled in thinking that this um, score reflects the full strength of the Trojans or the Cowboys for that matter um, but ultimately a great a great game of football yeah I know like the Cowboys had a few injuries a few people out with Covid um, Papa Pump Peter Lochran you know carrying that Cowboys team on his back I'd say that man woke up Monday morning in agony that's exactly what we saw out on that pitch because I mean for us on the sideline it's very easy to be in the stands and to say what's going well and what's going poorly and for the Cowboys it was really drop passes, you know, that were killing them. And then uh, the pass coverage that was quite poor for that first first quarter. And you could see Peter Lochran there in the middle of the pitch, like really just spurring on his offense and just starting to get a little bit annoyed, but very constructively. So just saying like, guys, you need to start catching the passes. Like if you, and he's right. And it's one of those things, if you can't catch passes, then 
that means that defense nearly doesn't even have to worry about the pass coverage just means they can really focus on the run it closes down all your options so anyway those um mistakes or those wee errors got corrected there coming into the the second quarter with that momentum change and um that momentum change in play and then the three um, touchdowns for the Cowboys coming from Peter Lochran himself so really like a leader really seems to be keeping that team together and keeping that team going so you have to admire him for that big time so I think play of the day I don't even know if you could if you could call it a play necessarily but um, spectacle of the day from the Trojans Cowboys game was definitely from a return where Cowboys number 54 was making an excellent return and then a Cowboys player kind of uh, on unidentified was blocking number 33 from the Trojans I think that's is that Ferris is that his name I'm not sure but Trojans look at let me know and uh, was blocking that player accidentally seemed to block him into the back so should have been a flag wasn't a flag because when the Cowboys player blocked Trojans number 33 in the block in the back pushed him into the Cowboys returner and the Cowboys returner like somersaulted through the air landing somehow like onto his face yeah like i'm looking here at the photos now kelly um it looks like the cowboys possibly hit number 18 with the block in the back but my god i am feeling sorry for their number 54 he is face down in the dirt his legs are in the sky that is not a nice way to come down in fairness to number 54 after making that like very good return getting clocked like that got up not a bother just walked off the pitch like looking at his facial expressions in the first photo as he's you know hasn't fully hit the ground there is a look of oh no on his face followed by the ground (laughs) but here he maintained possession the whole way through that ball didn't come out fair play though fair play is right kudos to the linemen though I believe like uh, there was zero sacks conceded by the, the Cowboys line so against like any team that's good when you keep your quarterback with a clean jersey. Yeah, yeah, it's true. And then as well, they're just making those gaps for the running back for the um, Cowboys. I mean, those gaps, you could see them from the sideline. So that's a great job by the Cowboys O-line as well. Trojans O-line looking good, like looking good. A lot of those guys, is their first time in green, do you know? And they seem to be very well gelled and it did look... I mean, uh, the QB there, the second and third string QB for the Trojans, like they had a nice bit of time and that's what you want to do for your rookie QBs. I'm assuming they're rookies. Um, QBs, you know, in their first game or whatever, it's just to give them like all the seconds that they need in that pocket to get those passes away. So a player I've always had great admiration for on the Trojans team is lineman Mohamed Ramadan. You know, how was his performance there at the weekend? Yeah, I mean, like, he was great. Do you know, the veterans, in fairness, of the Trojans team really showed their class, I think, particularly in the first quarter of that game. I mean, the Cowboys weren't really anywhere close to getting anything done in that quarter. It it would have been a very boring game of football had all of the veterans remained on the pitch. Uh, So it was great to see that rotation and great to see the Cowboys, in fairness, get their form together. But Mohammed himself had a great game. He also had a great game on the sideline. He was over chit-chatting with us and very, very funny guy. Like, really just such such an entertaining person. Entertaining to watch, like, athletically, also entertaining in person. Yeah, no, I think, you know, everyone sort of has a, a moment with, with Mo on the sideline at one point or another throughout a year. You know, I can remember the first time I met him was, uh, was at a flag game and he was there on the sideline. You know, just there, hoodie, baseball cap, uh, and the next thing is a guy for the Hurricanes puts out a finger 
like properly dislocates it. I think it was uh, Jeremy Brown. Right. And we're having a bit of a panic. You know, what are we going to do? Are we going to head away to Drogheda to get this finger put back in? And next thing, this guy who, given a bit of, bit of chat on the sideline, suddenly comes over and he's like, oh, I can help. I'm a doctor. And I'm thinking to myself, this guy's giving abuse to these other other teams. It's like, is he actually a doctor? <laughs> You're right. This guy's this guy's a joker, is what he is. Are these boys from Belfast just messing with us? But um, no, like honestly, he's was such a nice man. He turned from wanting to destroy other people to wanting to save other people in a heartbeat. You know, something that uh, must be commended to him himself. Um, took full control of the situation. You know, was very calm. You know the way a doctor you would hope would be in a in an emergency sort of situation. Put the finger back in on on the side of the pitch, and uh, Jeremy's still playing. Mo still doctoring. Yeah, saved a trip to Drogheda as well. No, he's a nice guy. He's like the guy that wants to like break you into two, but he'll put you back together after. Exactly. <laughs> I also have a a moment that I would like to share. I think we all have a moment. Everybody should send in their moments. If you have a moment, send it into the podcast. <laughs> My moment is a little bit different to your moment in that I'm I'm not so sure that uh, Mo was as helpful <laughs> to another to another player uh, during my. So this is the the opposite side of Mo. The other side yeah, of Mo, side of exactly. So I mean, I was reffing the Trojans UCD semi final last no two years ago, which was an absolute mudge bowl, and uh, the UCD player maybe the running back was after making a breakout to as far as the sideline was running like full pelt out the way and uh, he was following his blocks out as far as there and Mo got involved in a block and whatever happened during the contact of this block his helmet came flying off and so I could see he was right in front of me his helmet came flying off and I could see this like split second with Mo where he was like what just happened registered that his helmet had come off and then in another split second registered that he didn't care he didn't care his helmet came off and he went straight into the UCD running back and without his helmet full pelt and I don't think that the UCD player was the better of it oh god no like anyone I've seen get hit by Mo doesn't usually come out too well yeah even when he has no helmet on like he scared me he scared me when he did that I was I was shocked at the sideline then again you know better to give up 10 yards than a touchdown times isn't it yeah because it is a flag and I think it's like 15 15 yards but you have to like still I mean commend the man he fears nothing so moving on from our moments (laughs) what's in store for both these teams Okay, so the Trojans will be looking to continue their winning streak. They have the South Dublin Panthers fixture on the 8th of August. So obviously I think everybody is very excited to see how that goes, given that those are the two teams that met in the 2019 Shamrock Bowl with the Trojans ultimately coming out with their fifth uh, ring. One of the things that I find so exciting about the Trojans yearly campaigns is the way how they will pick a theme or like a slogan for the year and that's what they go with for that year. So this year it's set the tone. That's their thing. I love the way that they do this. One of my favourite ones was, I think they'd won three bowls at this stage uh, and nobody enjoyed like seeing them win at this stage. No offence Trojans, like we were sick of it. And they had this hashtag, we the bad man now. 
which is just a great great slogan and they are like they have that killer instinct about them that makes them so exciting to watch and I remember in that year that like We the Bad Man Now seeing them play and seeing them embody that theme so I think that was is best like explained when the Belfast Knights came to play them towards the end of the season so the Tro- this was ahead of the, the playoffs and the Trojans were really on their form and the Belfast Knights had changed from the Carrick-Fergus Knights to the Belfast Knights and the Belfast Trojans had taken that change quite personally they didn't like that one bit and so you could feel it that day going out onto that pitch they wanted to beat the Knights and they wanted to do that bad and what they did right like we're obviously big fans of Marty Kasky on, on this podcast fantastic player and he's a friend of the podcast but what they did during that game was they hit Marty so hard and so often that there was a stage, I think it was in the third quarter, where the ball came to Marty, uh, it hit him in his chest and he dropped the ball and flinched at the same time as if he was about to be hit, even though there was nobody around him. So that's how hard and how often they hit him during that game. And then the other side of that is that everybody on the Trojan sideline saw that movement and understood exactly what had happened. And they started like whooping and hollering like as if they had just made a huge play. And that's what I mean by that killer instinct. They just capitalized on that moment. And like really, I think that was where they just took the soul of that game and ran with that game and uh that's it hard to come back from something like that yeah like when you really are in in, um such an experienced player's head that much that he's dropping open field balls and you know bracing for impact when there's no impact coming you have one such a mental aspect and that's it's a it's a difficult one for anyone to come back from yeah they had won it and they knew it that's the thing they capitalised it that's that killer instinct and that we the bad man now thing so really excited for what set the tone is going to do yeah like we, we all know at this stage the Trojans they don't care about being liked they just care about winning and with that mentality and continuously year in year out reinforcing that sort of narrative um, it's going to be hard to see anyone getting ahead of them again yeah really looking forward to seeing that uh Panthers Trojans game coming up. Uh, you know, uh, Coach Kevin Clatt of the Wexford Eagles is actually now working with the South Dublin Panthers. Very interesting to see how what what he's brought to the likes of the Eagles. He's going to bring into the Panthers. I think he's currently working with their O line, from what I've heard. Yeah, that's what I've heard as well. Something to be very interesting to see how that works. You know, is this possibly that extra wee step that was needed just to you know help bring the Panthers? from runners up to winners could be yeah that could be the difference big time I wouldn't be surprised I think uh, I'm a big Coach K fan and I think he's very very knowledgeable and even when I was refing him two years ago he had wee little trick plays that were going on as part of his O-line setup. so it'll be interesting to see if he brings those to the Panthers and then for the Cowboys they will be playing the Trojans again on the 15th of August and that's really an opportunity for them to put everything that they've learned and build on all the positive things that they got out of last Sunday's fixture and put them again to use and see what their growth is within those two weeks just to, just to clarify it was actually the number 14 for Craigavon uh, with the push in the back I think that's a young nulty so still keeping within the kitted football and looking ahead to this weekend, we have week three of the Invitational, the Donaghy Group Invitational Cup, which will see the Jets play the Razorbacks and the Giants play the Vipers. That first kickoff is at 11am and it is the Giants 
turn to host and they will be hosting in Armai. Yeah, so we've got the Jets playing against the Razorbacks first. We've given a lot of love to the Razorbacks on this podcast so far. That, you know, love and faith hasn't uh, been reciprocated by them, unfortunately. No, it has not. No, it has not. But, you know, no, well, there is no buts about it. You know, if we're talking about who we feel is going going into this game and is going to be taking W home, we have to go with the Antrim Jets. Yeah. Like, Jets have been impressive so far this campaign. You know, doing a lot of stuff right, really building momentum. Some quality players, you know, you've got Ryan Beckett, formerly of the Belfast Trojans. I saw him lining out for the uh, for the Jets there the other day. Yeah, and then again, the leadership of Donald McCluskey, the leadership of Scott McLean. I mean, it's a good, it's a good outfit. The it's a good club. They have, you know, their youth teams and stuff like that supporting them. So I mean, overall, just big fans of the Jets, and I will be very surprised if they don't come away with that W on Sunday. For me, though, the fixture of the day, the one that could potentially go either way, is the Giants and the Vipers. So who are you backing, Rob, first of all? Ooh, you know, it's a tough one to, like, sort of break it away from, you know, who's going to be the out-and-out winner. It's going to be a hard-fought, close-encounter game, pretty gritty. You know, could be decided in the trenches. Hopefully the uh, the Giants can summon their inner Fionn McCool and get that W. Oh, you're going with the Giants. Yeah, that's an interesting one. For me, the Giants really surprised me during this whole campaign. I mean, I had them, I think, fairly written off against the Jets and that game came a lot closer than I thought it would be. And also for a team that I would always traditionally describe as a team that is a defense first team, they're scoring a lot on their offense. So, you know, maybe we need to update that game analysis. But ultimately, I'm going to stick with the Vipers. I feel like they're going to get it done. Also, you know, there could be a a fire under pods pods arse so to speak to get that Russian touchdown uh, if that means that we all get to see you in a little uh, cheerleading outfit um, uh, on the other hand Giants probably will be looking out for that particular play so uh, might be well ready for it to be honest I have to go with the with the Giants like I said after the last time where I went against them I had the entire Giants mafia hitting up my inbox being like you know do you even know football you know, that is questionable, but like they've managed to come a long way, you know, from when I sort of, you know, poked at them and said that they were really just there to kind of make up the numbers, that they, all they were was a presence. They did prove me wrong, and I'm hoping that they can continue to prove me wrong throughout the rest of this uh group campaign so there you have it Rob doesn't want to make the same mistake twice I'm still back in the wipers I still think they're going to get it done and for me I'm still trusting in pod uh, to get it done so it'd be great to see how this uh, it does play out you know and how these teams actually manage to build on this cup after it all and hopefully it's not just kind of the the end of the cup it's a great wee thing with those four teams up there and going forward even next year the year after hopefully they'll manage to make this a continuous annual event Oh yeah, no, I think that that's the plan. Pod would have alluded to that with us earlier. And uh, I mean, have you have you seen the the cup? Have you seen what it looks like? No, I actually haven't. Oh my God, it looks amazing. Like, I mean, it's like crystal. It's like a crystal cup. Like, it's very, very cool. I will get, I'll get a picture of it. We'll throw it up onto the socials and uh, you can all see for yourselves what's at stake. And that really wraps up all the, the full contact football there for the weekend. So I suppose it's only right and fair to move on to the flag. Hey. <laughs> it's flag season as always here. 
Um, yeah, some great games in the uh, Summer Shield tournament this weekend that just passed consisted of the flag only teams. So this was the final weekend of the Shield sort of regular season, if you can call it that, for the flag only teams. Um, it was a killer of a weekend. You know, it could have went either way for a lot of teams. I think come the start of the weekend, there was six out of the eight teams still in contention to possibly make it to the playoffs. Only the top three made it through. Each team having to play three games. And we all know how hot it was. 31 degrees in some parts of the country. That is intense. And that is getting hot. It's getting sweaty. That is doing all sorts of things to players. You know, some great games there happened. Yeah, some great games and some great individual performances. So, I mean, I think we'd be killed on this podcast if we didn't give a shout out to Alan Campbell for six touchdowns in one game. Like, what a spectacle that we are seeing from that man. Yeah, the redhead assassin. The redhead assassin, like, that's what he did. Like, six touchdowns in one game. Is that a record, maybe, for Flag? Uh, no, <clears throat> no, no, it's not. Um, I, I am pretty sure that there's been more than that uh, scored by certain players. I know Dan Finley won one uh one weekend scored 13 in two games. Oh my God. So, you know, it's a valiant effort by Alan, uh, but I don't think it's the most ever scored by a player in oh. uh, in one game. Well, Alan, you'll just have to try harder next time. Exactly. <laughs> but no, uh, in all fairness to Alan, he has come along leaps and bounds. You know, I've got to watch him play a flag for over two years now. Um, I remember playing actually against him in a flag game down in Cork. You know, the man's about 6'2", 6'3". I was playing a corner, you know, 5'9". Um, the only way that I could actually beat him was to physically beat him. Uh, he's got the height, he's got the speed. Um, if he decides to play a kitted for a team, he's going to be a great asset to anyone out wide. Him and Joe Kinahan really have got quite the winning formula going on between them. It's clear that they are not just, you know, teammates but they're actually good friends as well and joe is very happy to feed him that ball yeah absolutely i mean if if you're a qb and he's your wide receiver you can just trust him you know that you can get that ball anywhere near that arm length that he has and he's gonna lay out if he has to he's gonna bring it in and he's ultimately gonna score six touchdowns in one game so i mean the stats don't lie not sure if he's got a call up to the Wolfhounds. But he does, he, he yeah. Does he's on the Wolfhounds, yeah, yeah, he is. And he is balling out there. Like, that's the highest platform that we have in the country, and he is really showing up. Like, people are really starting to take note of him and notice who he is. So, I mean, great stuff from Alan. And, do you know, onwards and upwards from here for him. Yeah, like, you know, and to be fair, the Hurricanes really, really need it. You know, they... If you're looking at the uh, the scores, how the, the whole sort of table finished on that side of the draw, the Hurricanes conceded the second most amount of points of any team, but still managed to come second. The only way you're going to be able to you know concede that many points and still do as well as they have done is if you've got players making plays, scoring points. Like I saw there in their last game, I believe, they put up 47 points. They conceded 45. All you got to do is win by one. They won by two. So focusing on the, some of the teams that didn't make it. The Lions didn't make it to the playoffs, I don't think, did they? No, the Lions uh, The Lions missed out. You know, they would have been sort of uh, uh, one of the teams that a lot of people would have thought would have been a main contender pushing for a place in the playoffs. 
Uh, they finished with a record of three, three, and one. You know, um, some negatives, some positives. They got a draw there at the weekend against the Outlaws. That's a game that many people thought that the Lions should have won. Then there was quite a heavy defeat against the Edenderry Eagles. You know, that's something here. I, I don't know when the last time the Eagles were actually beat in a flag football game. <clears throat> it's coming up to at least two, possibly even three years at this stage. And then getting the uh, the walkover against the Downpatrick Saints. You know, Saints were unfortunately unable to field a team after their first game. Yeah. Just too many injuries uh, occurred to them. You know, it it really you know is a bad way for the Saints to sort of finish up their season, and it shouldn't detract from how well they've performed. This has been their most successful campaign in maybe not in the total wins that they've got, but in how they've performed. And it's something you know, it's great to see them building going forward. Hopefully, a few more bodies down to training, a few more bodies down to games will you know mean that come the actual league season itself that those two forfeits turn to zero. I will be killed if I don't mention the name Max Hardy here on this podcast at some stage who has just been like a star player for um, the Lions. I think the reason why we haven't been mentioning him as much is because he is defensive. He's been having like pass breakups and ultimately has been a huge part of their overall defense. It's tough sometimes to focus on the defensive players. They don't get enough love from us. That is true. You know, everyone sees the glitz and the glam of touchdowns being thrown, balls being caught. But defense, you know, as the, as the old saying goes, defense wins championships. Offense decides by how much. You know, we'll see a few brilliant players from a few different defensive players. You're talking there about Max Hardy, yeah, from the Lions. But another big shout goes to I think possibly the surprise team of the tournament and possibly a lot of you know the neutrals' favorites, the Thomastown Tigers. Padre O'Murray had an excellent performance there the other night against the Canes. Picking off Joe Kinahan, you know, he absolutely baited Joe out to throw the ball in his direction and made a diving, diving interception. You know, even Joe himself messaged me there saying he'd be surprised if, you know, Padre Murray didn't actually get a call up to the Wolfhounds. He's seen him every week and has been nothing but impressed by him from his athleticism, his understanding of the game, his ability to read players. As we all know, like the Tigers are turning up with five or six boys playing both sides of the ball and they've got one win. You know, they've had a few sort of difficult games, but they have been giving it everything. And you can imagine playing both sides of the ball in 30 degree heat. It is not going to be fun, but they lasted till the very end. And they seem like they're great crack as well. That's the other thing. It's like, I love their social media where they have that, you know, that Drake uh, meme where it's like, oh, winning an actual game, like, no, no. And then losing, but everyone's saying you've got loads of potential. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, they really are uh, possibly in the social media power rankings, you know, shooting up there. Hurricanes under a bit of pressure from that end as well. Okay, so we have covered the Saints, ultimately a very disappointing uh, season for them. We've covered the Thomastown Tigers, we've covered the Canes, and uh, we touch on the Eagles. So I think it's the Eagles that have come out on top this year, which means that they are getting a bye. So the other, the two players that have made it to the playoffs, I believe, are the Canes and the Raptors, is that correct? Yeah, Hurricanes and Raptors. And so they will play each other, and that game finished or 47-45 as you mentioned earlier so I mean very very close like who who do you think is going to come out 
So they have to play each other now again in the uh, second versus third this weekend coming in the playoffs to decide who plays against the Eagles. Uh, it's going to be a really tight game. You know, like it came down to the final drive uh, there at the weekend where the Keynes were leading with less than a minute to go. You know, the Raptors got back down fourth and goal, but just couldn't make a score. Like, it's really anyone's game. I really want to just say that I have faith in the Hurricanes, even if they do nearly give you a heart attack whenever you're watching them. Um, But after that, whoever comes up against the Eagles, it's going to be a tough day. Eagles will be going in fresh, depending on the weather. You know, it's going to be, it could still be a, a hot one out there. If it is, you're going to be tired. you got to get that water on beforehand, get that water on during, and just keep hydrated. Because when you're coming up against Mario Mera, you know, it's the man is an absolute stud at QB of what, I don't even know if the man is even is he even 21? I don't know if he even is. You know, he's played for the, the Crusaders. He's played for, in, in, for Guadalajara. He's played for some other international team. Um quality player if you ever check him out on youtube see him slinging the ball if you get to watch him in real life it's an absolute joy um the things that the, the lads do and at such a young age you know great development he's come through like we said the crusaders ranks you know something which we've touched on in previous episodes um when he gets that ball he is a bad man he is a bad man out there on that football pitch you know you gotta be prepared yeah, ultimately though, I do agree with you. I think that we, when we come to the Canes versus the Raptors, I believe that the Canes are going to come away with that win um, once again. And then Canes and the Eagles, I think the Canes are going to be the underdog of that game. Do they play each other yet? They'll only play each other. So whoever wins between the Raptors and the Hurricanes will play the Eagles. So that would mean then that the Canes would hypothetically go on to play the uh, Eagles. And even though I would feel like the Canes would be the underdog in that game, I just think like the Canes know how to get a win on a, you know, when it's up against them and they just know how to do that. Not saying that the Eagles don't, but I just like, I love an underdog. I'm just kind of backing the Canes for this. Yeah, like my heart tells me the Canes, but my head is telling me the Eagles, um, just the way that they've performed. You know they're such they're such a, a stalwart of flag football here in the country. They are the current um, league champions. They've played games abroad. They've played in the Jag Sevens tournaments. They're experienced. They're knowledgeable. You know they've got a lot going for them. They just get flag football. You know we can see other teams that have come in who are <clears throat> very dominant in in the kitted aspect of things, but when it comes to flag. They just can't convert those skills over, whereas the Eagles are just so well drilled. And like we've said it before, they they say they don't take it seriously, but when you're going two, two and a half, three years unbeaten, you're taking it seriously. You're not kidding anyone. They're doing doing what they need to do to win. You know, this weekend, I've even seen from their sort of limited social media presence, 
that they are going out here looking for a win, looking for another piece of silverware to add to the trophy cabinet. Yeah, so just before we move on then to our power rankings for those playoffs, I don't. I still want to give a shout out to the Outlaws who definitely had their most competitive day there last Saturday with one draw, one really tight loss, which, you know, is unfortunate, and then a win against the Tigers. So that's a good day if you're an Outlaw. Yeah, no, like the Outlaws... Um, consistent they're playing up in the the top division now uh, when the league season comes back again so it'll be good they are uh, as they'll admit themselves you know maybe of the the older caliber of player so it's good for them to get back out running about you know getting back into some action seeing what's ahead of them good test you know good club you know very well run good organization and looking forward to just seeing more from them yeah likewise so then moving on to our power rankings are we agreed first place eagles second place canes third place raptors for the flag only side of the draw yeah well i think that's really you know it's reflective of how it's finished i don't really think there's much sort of you know that you could deviate from that you know how you could like sort of split them any other way eagles eagles are gonna fly eagles are doing well hurricanes coming in like a storm and then the Raptors, well, we all know Raptors are extinct at this stage. <laughs> but, you know, when, back in their day, they're... They were very fierce. They were, they were fierce, fierce and revered. But I think that we have to look at this kind of now in sort of the wider picture. We have six teams going into this weekend. Out of those six teams, what way would we put them? If you're going to collide worlds together here, you're going to collide the flag and the multi-code teams, what way is this all looking? Mm, that's a good question. So I suppose we had, we had let's say, Trinity at the top of our power rankings when we last left them from the multi-code uh, side of the shield. How do you feel that the Trinity are going to fare against the Eagles? Well... If it comes to if it comes to the final of Trinity versus Eagles, it's gonna be an epic encounter. Trinity would have played three games. You know, the Eagles would only be or Trinity would be playing their third game. The Eagles would be playing their second game. Um, will experience you know come to the fore with Eagles? Will Trinity have enough left in the tank to give that final forty minutes just to push forward for a win? Um, it's it's all really up in the air, you know. It's it's really difficult to to decide who is going to who's going to come out on top. You know, I I really think that it could come down to the wire. One or two plays, a drop ball here, a drop ball there, even something as simple as a false start and losing five yards, you know, could cost your team the championship on the day. Yeah, I think the other team that's very strong at that side of the, the multi-coach shield is the Rebels. Like, really, it's going to be tough to know who's going to come out there. I'm kind of not discounting the underdog of the of the Minotaurs. I'm just labelling them as the underdog at the minute, and I'm sure that they won't mind that. But the Rebels are the other kind of standout strong team from, from the multi-coach side. And so, you know, what way are we thinking that the Rebels are potentially gonna um, match up against the likes of the Eagles or the Canes or again for me the Raptors are kind of an underdog there in the the flag only side yeah so like the the Raptors um, if you're Raptors against the Minotaurs if we're going at that end of things um, just looking at the team sheets I think that 
I'm gonna have to go ahead and put the it's a tough one but I'm gonna go raptors ahead of minotaurs so I'm gonna put minotaurs at the bottom then and have the raptors oh so in sixth place we have minotaurs they will not like that they are a notoriously awkward team and notoriously good at getting wins where they arguably shouldn't I put that in quotation marks like no disrespect to either side I just believe that come this Saturday both those teams will be one and done if they were to hypothetically play each other afterwards I'd be putting the Raptors to come out with a win great so are you putting Raptors then in the fifth position I think I have to like you know there's sort of no real other way around it um I think that the the Raptors as good as they are um they only lost two games there this year you know that was against the Eagles and the Hurricanes so I'm just going to say that history is just going to repeat itself this weekend against the uh, against the Hurricanes and that Hurricanes are going to come out with a W. Oh, okay. So then that brings us to the top four, which is arguably the toughest part because we have the we have the Eagles, we have Trinity, we have Rebels, and the Canes. So what way are you ranking? I am going to suggest Canes in fourth position. I'm gonna. I'm. Uh, this is now possibly one of the sort of the more controversial takes. Um, I am going to go and put the rebels in that position. Rebels in fourth. Rebels in fourth. And it's, right. Oh, Why no, is that? It's of no disrespect to the rebels. You know, great organization. You know, they they've really started to get a great culture going within the club. Um, and much love to them. But I just think, as like I said earlier on in the show, sometimes the the skills that teams have from the kitted end of football don't fully transfer over to the flag aspect of things. And I think that kind of showed there the other week against Trinity where things got you know a little bit hot, a little bit heavy and the Rebels were nearly trying to play kitted football without pads. Sometimes their understanding of flag football isn't what it needs to be. And whereas you have the Hurricanes who know nothing but flag, I think that kind of flag-based knowledge will give them that slight advantage. It's going to be a great battle of quarterbacks. I'm loving seeing Joe Kinahan match up against Ty Henry. That's going to be a great battle for the day. Yeah, it's a great battle even between the wide receivers. So we have, you know, Alan Campbell there as, as Joe was probably number one weapon. And then for Ty Henry, we also have the likes of Sunshine 20, Dave King, they're like really a strong 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 weapon there again with the rebels are probably i think they showed a little bit of immaturity the last time they came out but i believe in their head coach i believe in nicholas is it hegarty no nicholas gogarty who's actually not their head coach and uh, we got roasted on that before it's actually andrea barlafa oh sorry andrea (laughs) we did it again but um big fan of what nicholas is doing what he's building um in the team and i just think that that kind of will be what he is focusing on is focusing on making sure that the culture of the team is strong that they're disciplined well repped and that nothing can kind of phase them so that I'm going to put the rebels down at fourth position but I'm not necessarily going to agree with it either and then for the battle for the top position in the the flag uh, summer shield tournament it's coming down to to two teams and it's it's trinity and the eagles and the Canes. 
Cancer come third. Okay. <laughs> okay, hurricanes in third. We don't need to speak about them. We've spoken about them too much. We've gotten too much love on this episode already. In, in the battle for the students, whether it's going to be Trinity or Maynooth, um, I think from what I've saw from Trinity, uh, like much love to Maynooth and the hurricanes, I just feel that the the Trinity team have a little bit more to offer when, when you have the likes of the O'Dwyer brothers lining up there for you Ben Dowling you know just a little bit more depth but it's a game I would love to see if if anything the game I would love to see this weekend if it was possible would be a battle of the students yeah I agree I think that'd be good the, my my issue with Trinity is that if they don't start strong it can often take them a little bit of time to find their flow. They need to start strong. I think that QB Ben Dowling's fantastic and is well proven and well loved on this podcast, but he's one of those that if he doesn't find it quick, if he doesn't find his flow or if he falls out of his flow, he beats himself more than any team beats him. And that's kind of a something that he needs to be pulled out of early if that starts to happen. So really for me, Trinity on their form on their next game is going to be how strong they start. Yeah, they just got to start fast, start hard, you know, get that ball moving. And the only way to stop them is really to like get a pick early on, get a second pick right after and, you know, try and get inside Ben Dylan's head. Yeah, that's that's the only thing. If you if you can stop him, well then you're stopping the whole engine going off the team. Okay, so we're putting Trinity in second position then. Trinity is coming second. Trinity is coming second. So that means the Eden Dairy Eagles are in the top position there for us. Number one, I mean, the team's been dropping 60 bombs. Um, they have been shutting teams out. They have been putting teams away. So, I mean, it's hard to argue with it. Yeah, there's no real surprise, I think, from anyone on, on this end that the Eagles are sort of the top-ranked team out of any of the teams that are taking part in this tournament. You know, year in, year out, they've shown what they can do. Like we said, Matty O'Meara is doing great stuff there for them, a quarterback. Um, when you're coming up against him, it, it's going to be a difficult day. This week's ends action. It's actually taking place in De La Salle, Palmerstown FC in uh, Dublin. So like, if anyone is interested in going down and seeing some you know top quality flag football action, more than welcome to to make an appearance you know it's great that the rebels are hosting the event so kudos to them you know really family friends everyone welcome to come down you know cheer on who you want to cheer on absolutely everybody welcome so guys get yourselves down to support your afi flag teams so the last thing that i want to mention before the end of this podcast episode is the next hope through football clinic which is happening today friday 30th of july at 8 p.m it is being hosted by coach garrett mclaughlin he's defensive line coach and special teams coordinator with bates college and his football cv is absolutely jacked he served as defensive backs coach at suny buffalo from 2012 2016 the team to consecutive ECAC bowl appearances in 2014 and 2015. 
Coach Gart McLaughlin is a graduate of Sacre-Cluse University. He spent his time as a student assistant coach there with the football program, working under head coach Doug Marone. And with the Orange, McLaughlin coached three players who went on to earn NFL experience. So through this hope through football, you could be the next NFL uh, player that he has coached up to that level. Um, so please, guys, do tune into it. It's going to be a brilliant clinic and I'm sure that there will be loads of uh, information to be gained from it, loads of experience to gain from it, loads to take homes. So you'll find the details of that on AFI website, on the Facebook and the Twitter and Insta, as well as an email to all members from Commissioner Aaron Brown. So that's us signing off from this week's episode of The Domestic Game. As always, feel very free to like, share, subscribe to the episodes of the podcast. We are on Spotify, we're on SoundCloud, and we're recently on Apple Podcasts. So anywhere that you get your podcast, you should be able to get us. Please also feel very free to contact us directly uh, through our AmericanFootball.ie accounts. You know what they are at this stage, and we want to hear about what you want to hear about on this podcast. So feel very free to get in contact. I think we'll leave it there. We're going to wear a lot of call and that's the end of this episode of the domestic game.